You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. There's no better time to say I love you, and the most hated jeweler in America is at it again. You've heard us say, I hate stevensinger.com and you've heard us rave about his famous roses, but Steven Singer has been selling diamonds and bridal jewelry for four decades. Whether you have someone or something to celebrate, Steven is there for you. Ready to take the next step. Steven has a ready for love engagement ring collection. That is no hassle, no risk, expertly picked engagement rings that are ready to go. Don't worry. Steven won't let you mess this up. He's been selling online for over two decades, but recently he's kicked everything up a notch to better serve his friends and guests online. Steven has real expert jewelers on staff and on call to help you find the perfect ring or gift through a new virtual video appointment, a call, a text, a chat, an email, and all of this with extended hours. On top of that, he offers the best guarantee in the business with a full 100 day, 100% money back guarantee and free shipping. Interest-free financing is available online too, and that's just the beginning. Gifts that say I love you every single day, backed with decades of experience in the comfort of your own home. It's easy. Just go to IHateStevenSinger.com. Fast, free, and safe shipping. Of course, it's Steven Singer Jewelers. That's IHateStevenSinger.com. Hey, everybody. Thanks for checking out the podcast. We greatly appreciate your support. But before we get started, I wanted to tell you about a success story. I wanted to tell you about my friend, Carl up in new Boston, Michigan. He listens to our pods every week and he heard me talking about how I might be able to help him out. So he hit me up over at SaveWithConrad.com. He just closed last month and he left us a five-star review and he had this to say, not only did we save over a hundred thousand dollars on our mortgage by removing several years off of it. He also saved us a few months of payments. And follow-up, Conrad and Steve are super helpful when I had additional questions. You can't go wrong here with Save with Conrad. Definitely worth the call to understand what your savings could be. Take Carl's word for it. He saved more than a hundred grand. What have you got to lose? Be like Carl. Go to SaveWithConrad.com right now and find out how much money you can save for free. You don't need perfect credit. You don't need money out of your pocket. And if we can't help you save some cash, we won't waste your time. But because we're licensed in more than 40 states, we can help more families than ever before. Why not you? Why not now? Go to SaveWithConrad.com and find out how much money you can save for free. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. Oh, and did I mention no house payments for two months? Get a quick quote right now. You'll thank me later and you'll be glad you did. SaveWithConrad.com. Hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Arn. Of course, we couldn't be here without the master of ceremonies, the Hall of Famer himself, Double A, the enforcer, the founder of the Four Horsemen. It's Arn Anderson. Arn, how are you, man? I'm doing great. How are you today? Man, better than I deserve. Excited to be talking about SummerSlam with you. We have had a lot of fun 
covering some of these old shows from back in the day. And very recently we've been covering all things 2010. Well, here we are SummerSlam 2010. It's going to be a big show. And, uh, there's lots to talk about, especially with everything that's happening with the Nexus and around all of that. Let's jump right into it. Uh, we should remind everybody this went down August 15th at the Staples center in LA. It's got 17,463 fans there at the Staples center. The paid amount Meltzer thinks is around 14,000. The gate's going to be roughly 875,000 bucks, uh, about the same amount of folks that were there the prior year. Uh, this pay-per-view is going to get around 350,000 buys. The 09 version got around 369,000 buys. So 19,000 fewer pay-per-view buys, but back-to-back shows for SummerSlam at Staples Center. It really did become sort of the home of SummerSlam for several years. How was LA as a wrestling market back in the day and in the more modern era, do you think? Well, if you think SummerSlam, you think beach, you think outdoors, you think nice weather, which I think just fit LA perfectly, you know, and they would do some, you know, some shoots from down at the beach and, uh, you know, some, some talent during the course of the week would go down there and roam around and, and go to Venice beach and different places. And it just made for that beachy environment, which I think fit perfectly for SummerSlam. It really does. I, I liked it when it was uh, sort of a, an LA thing. And of course, more recently it's become a New York thing, but I think the plan was for that to be different. But of course, these days, as we know, everything is in Orlando. Um, but it's going to get those shows, I guess, Oh nine until 14. And then it moves to Brooklyn and, um, it sort of becomes a staple. And when I think of that, I think of sort of what you guys did with WCW where Halloween havoc was at MGM grand over and over and over. And of course we saw the same thing with uh Starcade. We had several of those in DC. Do you like the idea of there being sort of a home arena for a branded show like that? Well, when you have so many, and there was a lot of pay-per-views, you know, during this era, you know, the fact that you could brand one to a particular city, it became theirs. And uh, it was like you started to recognize, okay, so-and-so pay-per-view is going to be in this town. You knew that. People could plan their travel. If if you put SummerSlam, which is during the summer, people are off, and you look at the makeup, the chemical makeup of those big shows like WrestleMania and, and uh, SummerSlam, those crowds came from everywhere. They came from Japan, overseas, you know, all the different continents were pretty much represented and putting it in LA just made it closer for those people to travel to. And, uh, you had so many people from so many different countries on those, those big shows like Royal Rumble, I would say the big three Royal Rumble, WrestleMania and, and, uh, SummerSlam. And you don't put them in that order, obviously, but that's the three big shows. And a lot of people come from international, audiences to come and see those shows. So I thought LA was perfect for SummerSlam. It just felt like SummerSlam. Let's, uh, let's remind everybody we're fresh off of the money in the bank pay-per-view, which we recently did a show on, but let's talk about some sort of news and notes in the middle of August, Linda McMahon captures the Republican nomination for becoming a Senator in Connecticut. McMahon won handily 
largely based on spending more than $20 million of her own money among the most of any candidate in United States history. Did you follow any of this? And, and were you surprised that this was a path she wanted to pursue? Well, I, I just know this about Linda McMahon. Every time I've ever been around her, she was always so polite and so nice to me. I mean, every single time. And uh, that meant a lot to me, someone of, you know, of her stature. And she just made a point to be polite. And she, re- for somehow, remembered, you know, my son's name and stuff like that. And uh, it goes a long way. Uh, when you're a woman of her stature, and we were all pulling for her. I'm, you know, I don't bring my politics, you know, to work with me ever. I think that's kind of a, a personal thing. Your politics is your own personal building, but our business, excuse me. Um, but we we're all pulling for her. Of course we were. We knew that, uh, you know, how that would help our company and how it made us look and would legitimize us even more, which we're trying to do constantly. And, and, uh, we're all pulling for Linda to win. That's for sure. Uh, Meltzer would write about the business. He said it's largely due to disappointing domestic pay-per-view numbers. World wrestling entertainment has what chairman Vince McMahon called a lousy second quarter. Although the company remained profitable for the second quarter, they took in $106 million and ended with a $6.2 million profit. The prior year, they took in $138 million and posted a $19.8 million profit. Were you keeping up with any of the earnings? And did you think that was a barometer for maybe what might about to be happening in the business? Or was it completely off your radar in this era? No, I had my hands full doing my job. You know, if they brought it up, you know, at a production meeting or something, you know, then I would look at that and sounded like a big number, sound like a good profit, uh, but it didn't. To me, that's so far out of the realm of what my job description was. I mean, I would hear it and it'd go in one ear and out the other. I knew the company was doing good. I would see expansions in every area, and you know, you could tell that they were spending a lot of money to make money. So business is usually good when that's happening. Absolutely. Let's, uh, let's also mention that this, the investor call when he's acknowledging, Hey, we had a bad quarter. He says, quote, we're looking at SummerSlam reversing the downward spiral. We look at SummerSlam as the kickoff of the new talent integrating with others. So he's putting a lot of stress and pressure here on this particular show. And again, an $875,000 gate with 17,000 people in the building. Hard to complain about that. And even though maybe fewer people are buying the pay-per-view, 350,000 buys would still be considered very, very strong. Uh, let's talk about some bad news. On August 12th, we would lose the guy who wrestled as Lance Cade in the WWE. He's only 29 years old. He was married with two kids and a stepson. Uh, I believe the coroner's report would say it was an accidental overdose. It was mixed drug intoxication, complicating cardiomyopathy. And, uh, he's probably most notable for training alongside Brian Danielson and Brian Kendrick with Shawn Michaels, but he did have, you know, three separate tag team title runs with Trevor Murdoch. Good looking guy. A lot of people thought he had a big upside in the business and he left us way, way too soon. You had an opportunity to meet, uh, and, and work with him a little bit. What can you tell us about Lance Cade? 
Uh, only that the guy was always smiling. He worked hard. He looked good. He had a lot of talent. And um, him and Murdoch were a great team. They were one of my favorites. I would pick at them all the time because, I mean, I knew they had talent. And they knew I was just picking at them. But the guys were, you know, you had the one really good-looking guy, Lance Cade. And, and uh, Trevor Murdoch was like a throwback maybe till the 70s. He looked like Dick Murdoch, just a smaller version. And they just, you know, they were oil and water, which makes for a lot of great teams. Uh, and the guys could go out and they could work, both of them. And I think that uh, we did, like you said, lose a, a good one way too soon. I don't know the, you know, what he did in his personal life was his own business. And the fact is that he is gone and there's no way to fix it. And uh but I always enjoyed every moment that I spent with him. He was, he was a good kid. Yeah. It's uh it's a shame that, that we lost him and, and that unfortunately, you know, he had such a young family as well. Let's talk about some other bad news. Unfortunately, Taryn Terrell who's 24 was indefinitely suspended by the company on August 9th. When the company found out she'd been arrested by police in West Los Angeles on a domestic disturbance early that morning. Uh, her and her husband had went to a party at the Playboy Mansion on August 8th in L.A., and then they got into a loud enough argument where hotel security and police were called. It's a mess. It's a private matter. But I guess if you don't report that type of stuff to the WWE, they don't take too kindly to that. They feel like they need to be in the news since you're a public figure. Is that fair to say that that might be their attitude? Well, yeah, they want you to, you know, them to be the first one so they could start damage control. I would suggest the timing was terrible with Linda running for a public office. They didn't want any negative press, which would, you know, hurt her chances, you know, on uh, running for office. So the timing might have been terrible as well. But, yes, it was when they first decided to go PG product, they stuck to their guns and they'd be in the company. They didn't want anything that was not PG. And uh, that would be considered not PG, domestic violence. Of course. Well, and I don't even know how much, I don't know what's in the report exactly. I just know it was a situation with her and her husband, Drew, who we know, and that the hotel security was involved. But either way, I believe, um, the policy was, at least according to Meltzer, the instigator has to leave for a cooling off period. So we don't know what really happened. And it seems like all's well that ends well, but it is a blip on the radar for the WWE where they're like, uh, this might not be a good look for us. Somebody they do think is going to be a good look for them is Alberto Del Rio. Uh, it's written by the observer management likes him because they're looking for another Hispanic star because Ray Mysterio is one knee injury away from possible retirement. He's done remarkably well on his vignettes. So he's got a shot at being a legit star, which I sure didn't see when I thought it would just be him without his mask in FCW and not getting over there. He's done well with management, but some wrestlers feel he's aloof kind of like his gimmick. Although I've joked about it, the term that he's got mill mascaris blood in him has gone around and he's been talked about as it may be not rubbing guys the wrong way, but he's just a little different. That's sort of Meltzer's pitch. 
what was your impression of Del Rio? We know that he's going to be a big star with you guys. And then things don't go exactly according to plan, but what was your firsthand experience with ADR? Well, it's funny. Uh, I know that Vince liked him and, uh, you know, he's a handsome guy, you know, Vince looks at cosmetics first and everything else next. Uh, I never had any issues with him as far as being his agent or producer. Uh, never had any arguments, but it's funny that you, that he's on the radar for this conversation because I have heard that, you know, some of the other guys, um, I don't even know how I would put it, but just had, you know, some less than stellar business dealings with him as far as trying to do business and conversations and, and things of that nature. So, you know, who knows? Who knows what to believe? You know, there's been a lot of stories since then. Uh, I know that he's been through some trials and tribulations. I just hope he's getting his life straightened out and and uh, everything's going good for him. At this time, I do know that Vince liked, liked him and wanted to go with him, so we tried to do everything we could do to make that come true. There's no better time to say I love you, and the most hated jeweler in America is at it again. You've heard us say I hate Stevensinger.com, and you've heard us rave about his famous roses. But Steven Singer has been selling diamonds and bridal jewelry for four decades. Whether you have someone or something to celebrate, Steven is there for you. Ready to take the next step? Steven has a ready for love engagement ring collection that is no hassle, no risk, expertly picked engagement rings that are ready to go. Don't worry, Steven won't let you mess this up. He's been selling online for over two decades, but recently he's kicked everything up a notch to better serve his friends and guests online. Steven has real expert jewelers on staff and on call to help you find the perfect ring or gift through a new virtual video appointment, a call, a text, a chat, an email, and all of this with extended hours. On top of that, he offers the best guarantee in the business with a full 100 day, 100% money back guarantee and free shipping. Interest-free financing is available online too. And that's just the beginning gifts that say, I love you every single day, backed with decades of experience in the comfort of your own home. It's easy. Just go to, I hate fast, free and safe shipping. Of course, it's Steven Singer jewelers. That's I hate They're also going to try everything they can with Daniel Bryan here. We should mention and remind everybody that Brian was fired on June 11th days after participating in the original Nexus kickoff angle. And he was gotten rid of here for choking the ring announcer, Justin Roberts with a tie, which is against the policy. And I think the idea was let's go out here and race some hell and tear up ringside. And he improv that because he, you know, Justin was wearing a tie and, um, maybe it upset some sponsors, maybe because of Linda's thing, either way, he's caught in the fallout and he's gone, but he's going to come back here at this show. Uh, Meltzer would write based on the best information we have. Danielson was contacted about two weeks before the show and canceled his bookings for both the gathering of the juggalos in Illinois and for the New York wrestling connection show in Port Jefferson station, New York. If this was a planned thing from the start to bring him back for the SummerSlam main event, it would have made no sense for him to book himself on weekend shows that same weekend or book dates after mid August. 
WWE also forced him to cancel several, but not all of his independent bookings, including a date for Mikey Whipwreck uh, and some shows in Massachusetts where they don't want him working an indie date the night before the night of champions pay-per-view in Chicago, but he is still going to make some shows for evolve and dragon gate USA. Uh, Meltzer would write. It's been known that Pat Patterson and Jim Ross had been pushing Vince McMahon to rehire Danielson, who is back here as Daniel Bryan, whatever it was, he was told to keep it quiet and to be unveiled as the seventh member of team raw, a spot teased for the Miz and uh, opened up when they did a knee injury angle with great Kali on raw the prior week. They put a tarp over the ring before the show, when it came time for the run through and snuck him in so that nobody other than those in the match would see him or know about it. The format sheets for the show listed a seventh man in the match, but had no name still canceling his weekend appearances, citing a family gathering seemed suspicious, even more suspicious as people were coming into the arena and the company was checking every sign. It became obvious when so many of the confiscated signs had anything that mentioned Daniel Bryan or Brian Danielson. This is kind of fun. I guess, you know, they're trying to keep it a real secret. It feels old school. And that's part of the fun of being a wrestling fan, right? Arn the big surprise. Well, sure. Um, I don't think this was something that was planned from the beginning. I think he did get fired. 100% got fired, but I think the backlash from the audience maybe uh, caused him to do to rethink it and put it back together because Daniel would have never booked himself if this was going to be just some phantom angle. He would not have booked himself for those other promoters because, you know, that was where his uh, beginnings were. He was loyal to the Indies. He was loyal to those promoters. He would not have booked himself with those companies knowing that he was going to cancel later. Doesn't sound right to me. He was just booking his living going forward, figuring, you know, it was over with WWE. So I think that the backlash caused them to rethink this and they put this angle together and they sat on it pretty good. Everybody. Um, and so it was a surprise for the most part, I think. Let's talk about the, uh, the show itself here. Evan Bourne is going to pin Zack Ryder in a dark match, but our first match on the show is to what will become world champions, Dolph Ziggler and Kofi Kingston here for the intercontinental title. Dolph comes in with the IC title and they're going to go to a no contest when Nexus lays out both guys, uh, to really get our show kicked off though, Vicky Guerrero is going to come out and get super heat. Uh, what'd you think of this match and, uh, the Nexus interference? I mean, it sort of sets the tone for sure. Well, I think you could have probably had a finish in the first match and then did exactly what you did, have the Nexus come down and flatten everybody. But you could have got a finish in first, I think. Having a, a DQ in the very first match of the night might have not have been the best call, I don't think. Yeah, listen, in a traditional sense, I totally get it. Knowing the way this is going to end, though, it does feel like we're trying to solidify nexus as being sort of the new version of the nwo so i could go either way on it but we know these guys are going to both have big things in their future dolphin kofi is it possible for them to even have a bad match i don't know that i've seen one i doubt it very seriously both tremendous performers 
you know, and, and look where their careers have blossomed, where they're at today. They're still tremendous performers. So, you know, I'm sure the match was, was tremendous, competitive, two great guys to get, you know, get the crowd rocking and rolling. But sometimes you want to set the mood for the night, not knowing the Nexus are going to come down. It just, just seemed like to me, you could have got a one, two, three Duke in the air and, and they started falling out of the ceiling. Here they came. Just one man's opinion. Let's, uh, let's talk about the next match here. Uh, we've got Melina and Alicia Fox for the divas title. Back in December of 09, Melina would tear her ACL at a house show, which caused her to vacate the Divas title at a fatal four-way in June. Fox would win the title in a fatal four-way against, uh, Gail Kim, Maurice, and the defending champion Eve. Then she would retain that championship against Eve at money in the bank. Then in early August on raw, Melina would make her return and attack Fox. And that gets us to here. Five minutes, 21 seconds. Melina gets the win. It gets a quarter star. This is before the divas revolution it sort of sticks out like a bit of a sore thumb. Now you watched it this week for the first time in 10 years. what do you think? Well, I think logistically the match was fine. You, we just, at that point in history, the ladies had not been built or promoted as world-class workers. They were out there to, to basically, you know, fill a slot. Not that, that the two were bad or their work wasn't good. It just was not up to the level that has become today. And it, they were used in, uh, you know, different capacities. I know that with uh, Melina, with Eminem, they were a great package. And they were an awesome package together. And they were good partners for each other. And that's how you kind of recognize them. Her own or on her own against uh, Alicia. I'm not sure had box office, but it wasn't meant to have to draw the house anyway. So I think it was what it was. The, uh, this is the only women's match on the show. I think there was supposed to be a tag match with Michelle McCool and Layla taking on Kelly Kelly and Tiffany. Uh, but because of Tiffany's arrest, we talked about earlier, that match winds up being pulled off the show. Next up, it's a handicap match. It's big show taking on CM Punk, Luke Gallows, and Joseph Mercury. Uh, they're uh, calling themselves the straight edge society. As a reminder in may at the over the limit pay-per-view punk lost their match to Rey Mysterio, forcing punk to shave his head bald as a result of that stipulation. Afterwards, Punk starts wearing a mask until Big Show removes it until the July 16th SmackDown. And afterwards, Punk Straight Edge Society masked mystery man faces Big Show in a match. He has his own mask removed, revealing him to be Joey Mercury. And on the 30th of July, we see the Straight Edge Society attack Big Show and stomp his right hand into the ring steps and uh, they break his hand. And it's announced the following week that Big Show gets his revenge, but it's got to be three on one. And when we see Big Show come out, he's got the right hand bandaged up. It looks like it's in sort of a makeshift cast. It's black, but he's got a white X on it. Similar, I guess the opposite rather of what Punk wears to the ring. And before they ever get started, they have, uh, I think Dr. Chris Amon jump up there and cut the wraps off to reveal that, nope, it was all a ruse. His hand is just fine little old school Southern wrestling. I thought this match was more fun than maybe Meltzer did. He gave it a star in three quarters. Big show gets the win. What'd you think? 
you know, I always liked Big Show um, in his performance. And when he was healthy, he could go out there and create some excitement. You got to always remember the guys. He's a giant. And, uh, you know, it's not easy when you're a giant to have a normal match with normal size guys because it's just not plausible. But he always did his best to make everything make as much sense as it could. And three-on-one seems like, okay, maybe you got a fair fight until you figure out that show is just what he says he is. He's a giant. So I thought it was a fun match. It had, like you said, the, the little bit of a swerve on the hand being okay. And uh, I'm sure those guys did everything they could to make it as, it as exciting as they possibly could. And, you never lose when you're putting, you know, your giant over. I don't think you can go wrong there. No doubt. And it's fun to look back and see punk here and gallows here and mercury here. It feels like a hundred years ago. And I think gallows has said years later that Joey mercury, did he actually tear his peck during this match with big show here? I don't remember. I don't remember that could be possible, but I don't specifically remember that. Let's take a look and see what we've got next. We've got, uh, Kane talking to an empty casket. Like the undertaker was there. Seamus shows up and says he wants to borrow the casket to put Randy Orton in it because it's way too big for Mysterio. Kane tells him no. And Seamus tells Kane that if the two of them form a tag team, they'd be unstoppable. And Seamus notes that he's the real big red monster. And it looks like they might be building towards something in the future here. And then we see Miz cut a heel promo saying he has accepted John Cena's offer to wrestle for team WWE. And he's going to be in the main event. When he asked the crowd, if he should join team WWE, everyone boos. And, uh, Miz claims that Cena has begged him to join the team. And he claimed John Morrison admitted that he was Marty and Miz was Sean. <laughs> uh, pretty fun little promo here for Miz. And next up is the uh, title match with Randy Orton and Sheamus. They get plenty of time here. 18 minutes and 56 seconds. Randy Orton gets the win by DQ and Meltzer would write. The announcers are pushing this as being the biggest championship in the history of sports entertainment, which is kind of fun. Three quarters or not three quarters, but three stars. Although there is a, we want a Miz chant going, which sort of took me by surprise. I don't think Randy Orton gets the credit he deserves for being one of the all time best. This match is another example of that. I don't know what people's expectations were as Seamus, but I know certain parts of the crowd didn't seem like they were ready to accept him, but you sort of forget all that and get lost in the story. I really like this match. What'd you think? Well, I just don't like Randy as a baby face, right? He's not at his best. He's never been at his best. Uh, but when Randy works heel, you know, he is the best heel in the business. Certainly one of them specifically, uh, and it, it was very physical match. Uh, Sheamus is a very physical guy. He's a, you know, he's a guy that that makes you believe. So, I'm sure this match got better as it got longer. Uh, I don't. Again, there's your second non-decision on a pay-per-view yeah. of the night of the night. Some people don't keep up with that, Conrad. I do. I do because if you flew in from Tokyo and you got your family there and you spent God knows how many thousands of dollars to come to this two non-decisions at this point of the night are a lot. You pay to see winners and losers. 
and there's no reason you couldn't have got a finish in both of those matches and moved on. Pay-per-views are supposed to be winners and losers, and they have to be something different from Raw and SmackDown. If not, why spend that money to, to see them? You know, if there's one thing Arn Anderson knows about, it's kicking ass. And uh, if you want to be an ass kicker, you've got to stay in the gym. And that's what Arn has sort of preached on the podcast here. Even during all the changes that we've had this year, that was the biggest challenge for him. And if you've been looking for a fun way to get the whole family motivated to be active and fit, you have got to try Fight Camp. Fight Camp is an at-home boxing and bodyweight workout taught by real fighters, and it's made for all levels, from first-time boxers to seasoned fighters. Fight Camp's punch tracking sensor allows you to track your progress and is great for motivation, competition, and community. You can connect with the Fight Camp community on Facebook. There's over 4,000 members there. You can even enter challenges, share your successes, and talk through hardships with others online. You can even access a leaderboard for a little healthy competition. And I got to tell you, it's, uh, it's no shock to me that Fight Camp is so popular amongst professionals because uh, if you're in that career-oriented atmosphere where everybody's sort of jockeying for position, competition runs rampant through your office anyway. This is a nice way to blow off some steam and have a little fun. And why not make the workout fun? See, Fight Camp brings the boxing gym to you with a mix of cardio and conditioning for a full body workout. By the way, it comes with all the gear you need. You're going to get the best freestanding punching bag on the market, great boxing gloves, quick hand wraps, and their unique punch tracking sensors that show you real-time progress and stats on any iOS device. We should also mention that if you're new to boxing, their 12-week starter program teaches you the fundamentals of boxing while you still get a great workout every time. There's even access to more than 400 different workouts for all fitness levels and skills with four new ones every single week. And that's a big deal. You, know, you don't need to be overwhelmed by this. You can even try Fight Camp workouts for free. Just download the Fight Camp app and select the workout of your choice. This is a great way to sort of test your trainer. And you can even buy now and pay later. You can use a firm financing to get your gym right away and make easy monthly payments. And the gym is yours to keep at the end of your term. If you're approved for financing, you're going to pay less than 100 bucks a month, which is way cheaper than almost every boxing gym I've ever heard of. Plus, you save on the commute time and gas. This doesn't get any easier. And since you can have up to five accounts per household, you essentially get a boxing gym for the whole family at just under 20 bucks a person. Fight Camp offers flexible financing for as low as 0% APR. And right now is a limited time offer. You can try Fight Camp for 30 days with their money-back guarantee. Just go to joinfightcamp.com slash arm. That's right. Try Fight Camp for 30 days. And if you don't love it, they'll refund your money, train like a fighter, and turn your sweat into results. To try Fight Camp for 30 days, just go to joinfightcamp.com slash arn. That's joinfightcamp.com slash arn. Tell you, you'll be glad you did. I, uh, I noticed the same thing you did. It feels like the crowd really started to get into it at like that 13, 14 minute mark. I mean, when you've got an 18 minute match, I mean, I guess in a perfect world, they'd start hot and stay hot the whole time. But if you're going to have your crowd pick a spot to get into it, you want it to get to a fever pitch at the end. And that's what this looked like. It was going for, uh, of course, Seamus goes for a chair shot. Orton ducks, kicks Seamus low, gives him the RKO on the announcer's table, which didn't break. 
And even though Sheamus is laying there, I think everybody was sort of ready for the Miz cash in here. Do you think this could have been a spot for a Miz cash in or should have been maybe? Uh, I don't know. I think possibly, possibly, um, the conditions usually when they're there at their best for a cash in or somebody wins, but just barely. And both guys are basically in a double knockout scenario to where they're just spent and the champion has pulled one out, but man, that's all he had left. And the scene is usually one of those that the second the guy with the money in the bank briefcase starts walking down the ramp and they're looking at two dead bodies, they get it right away. That's usually your ideal scenario. Um, and the more you can have that looking like, okay, here he comes, and you just watch the guy walking down, present the briefcase, everybody's still down. Okay, the referee acknowledges this is going to be for the title and lets the audience know before anybody in the ring starts to, to stir. That's your best case scenario. So this, this could have worked. I'm not sure if it would have been a hundred percent the best time, but might not have been a bad spot in the arena. They turn the lights off and show the trailer for the movie legendary and sneak undertaker in to get under the ring. Uh, and the next match is for the world title. It's Kane defending against Ray Mysterio. As a reminder, on the May 28th SmackDown, The Undertaker defeated Mysterio to qualify for the Fatal 4-Way match for the world title in June. And during the match, The Undertaker suffers a very legitimate injury, forcing him to be written out of the match. And uh, they find him in a vegetative state by Kane over the Memorial Day weekend. And as a result, Kane accuses several wrestlers of incapacitating his brother and attacks him. Ray wins a battle Royal to replace the undertaker last eliminating Kane, and then goes on to defeat the defending champion, Jack Swagger, big show and CM Punk to win his second world heavyweight title at fatal four way at the money in the bank. Kane would win that ladder or that ladder match for the money in the bank, but then cash it in on Mysterio later in the evening after Mysterio had defeated Swagger to retain the title. So that's where we are. We're sort of caught up now. And, um, yeah, they get a ton of time, at least for a cane match, 13 minutes, 32 seconds, two and a half stars. I thought they did a, a good job sort of telling the story. I've always liked the dynamic of, uh, you know, David versus Goliath, so to speak. And you get that in most Mysterio matches. And then there is the big reveal where they open the casket and there's nothing there, but they open it a second time and there's the undertaker. And then the undertaker sort of getting nose to nose with Rey Mysterio. There was some good drama in this. The crowd was really, really excited to see the undertaker. I mean, it was a genuine surprise and, and I like the way they did the tease where it's empty once, but then he's in it the second time you saw it this week for the first time in 10 years. What'd you think? It was a nice twist. I don't know that Ray got nose to nose with the undertaker unless he was standing on a heap of Coke crates. Well, the undertaker uh, crouched down and got nose to nose with Ray. Who's like uh, on the bottom rope sort of beat up. And uh, just the idea, you could feel the tension of Ray Mysterio being nervous about the undertaker. I mean, what an intimidating figure, especially when he climbs out of a fucking casket. Don't get hot. I was making a bad joke. (laughs) 
But I can tell you this, if you're Rey Mysterio and you've been fighting Kane and now the Undertaker shows up, I mean, can't you just find a building to jump off of? Does it get any worse than that? If you're a Rey Mysterio fan, you can definitely feel his pain and the anguish and the dread of of what's supposed to follow, you know? I actually liked the way this went down. Meltzer didn't know. He says, um, Kane blocked the 619 and kicked Mysterio into the casket. Mysterio got out. Eventually, Mysterio hit the 619 and goes for the springboard splash. But Kane went to get his knees up and Mysterio blocked it and cradled him. But then Kane came back with a high kick and a choke slam for the clean win. Uh, he would continue. Kane went to put Mysterio in the casket, but Mysterio got out and Kane choke slammed him two more times and finished him with the tombstone pile driver. He went to put him in the casket, opened the lid, and there's Undertaker. Kane freaked out. Undertaker gets in the ring, went to the downed Mysterio, screams at him about why he did it. Mysterio swears he didn't. Undertaker said he believed him, and then he snatched his throat. Kane smiles. Undertaker does his thr- slit throat motion like he's going to finish Mysterio, but then turns to Kane. Here's what Meltzer, here's where we differ. Meltzer says these dramatic swerves that make no sense are so old. Undertaker went after Kane, but Kane was too powerful and choke slammed him and left him laying after a tombstone. Sheamus versus Orton was at least building to be a good world title match until the bad finish. This one was never close. I liked the match and I liked the story. I didn't think it was quote unquote, so old. Uh, I don't know, maybe because I watched it in a, a vacuum today. what do you think? I mean, did you think this was a bad match? No, I don't think the match was bad. Maybe it's, uh, you know, the story's a little bit, if you go back and really sort through it, okay, a week earlier, Kane is saying that he found his his brother basically comatose, right? And now he's punishing everybody that he thought might have had something to do with it. So there's that, bro- that brother loyalty. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, and then a week later, now they're going after each other. Doesn't make a lot of sense. If you really think about it, I mean, it's just, you've got, sure. You've got big stars showing up and in the match and it's exciting and you're putting Ray behind the eight ball, but you know, a lot of times just for the sake of the pop, you lose the story. And this could have been one of those situations, you know, it's just, it's as a fan, would you rather have a little bit of a discombobulated story but get to see all the stars or have the story intact and not see them. That's the big question. I guess you're, if you're paying pay-per-view prices, you know, to your point, you want to see all the stars and see them coming, popping up at, you know, different times that you don't expect. Well, also too, I mean, I think it, I don't think it is a, a convoluted story. I take issue with the way Meltzer sort of wrote here that, oh, this swerve didn't make any sense. No, it did make sense. Like Kane beat up his brother and made it look like somebody else did it. And when he thought, Hey, I'm going to get away with it. And he starts smiling after race wears to undertaker. He didn't do it. He realizes, oh shit, it was my brother who did it. I mean, I don't know. I thought it was a good story and, and sort of classic old school wrestling and Meltzer just disagreed, I guess. Well, I guess you had to just wait till it all played out. You got the explanation. Well, we're going to get an explanation with this next match. What we're about to see here is the longest match in SummerSlam history. 
It goes 35 minutes and 15 seconds. That is indeed a SummerSlam record. The previous record was 94 with Brett and Owen inside a steel cage for the world title. That went 32 minutes and 22 seconds. As a reminder, Nexus has been running roughshod since June 7th on Raw when they attacked Cena, Punk, and the entire ringside crew. The following week, the then general manager, Bret Hart, refused to give them contracts, and as a result, they attacked him, which uh, forced Vince McMahon to appoint a new anonymous GM who then signed all the members of the Nexus to the show. What do you think about the anonymous GM angle? Okay. It's terrible. Was it not? Yeah, it was bad. Yeah, it was bad. You can't have just some, some phantom guy that's got all the authority that's, that's booking all the matches. It just, it, it, it takes that stretch of believability and it goes way, way, way too far. And I think it, it just did. It was just, you know, it was cute for a week or, or two, but it still didn't make sense unless you were going to have a reveal and you never had a reveal. You know, it's just blink, blink. And there was the, there was the GM that nobody knew who it was making career decisions on people's lives. Nexus is going to continue to attack various wrestlers and crew, uh, costing Cena, costing the uh, WWE championship. I mean, they're just running rough shot fatal four way money in the bank. Uh, and then in, uh, in July, Cena finally confronts them. They offer him a place in their stable, which he refuses and then reveals that he's assembled his own crew that he's going to call team WWE. It includes edge, Chris Jericho, John Morrison, R-Truth, the great Kali, and unbelievably Bret Hart on July 26, the raw anonymous GM changes the match to an elimination match. And then there's dissension in, in Cena's team in the following weeks. Edge and Jericho, um, they have their own thing going on. It's, this is a, a, an interesting concept, but it does feel like, I mean, I don't know. Is this a little hot shotted to you? Did they go to this too soon? Do you think, or did Nexus lose too soon? What's your takeaway from the whole Nexus thing? And maybe what could have been. They should have went on. Those guys should have been shoved for another year and a half before you ever put a chink in their armor. You know, you're talking about earlier, you know, Vince was talking about, I mean, you said that the quote was, we're going to turn this thing around to the stockholders, right? We're going to integrate our new talent with our old talent, yeah, right? And we're going to get business turned around. Well, the one thing that it takes forever to accomplish, and it's not that easy these days, and it wasn't that easy back then, the hardest thing to do is get heat, get legitimate heat on talent. And you had these Nexus guys who were everything that Vince wanted. They were young. They were athletic. You know, they had a, they were all different, but there were, it was an influx of young guys and and some of them very good performers. A lot of them good performers for that time. And when you've got seven in a group, they should have dominated everything and everybody on both shows and it would just be create, you know, get your booking creative enough to make that happen because those guys, you could have put so much heat on 
they shouldn't have got beat for another year and a half because there was just the story was in place. There were a team of seven. You jump on one of them or two of them, you jump on seven of them. And it'll work if you just do it in the proper uh, context. So I don't think they should have, any of them should have gotten beat that night. Any of them should have got left laying. You know, Cena, it's, it would have been very easy to write the story that everybody was jealous, you know, on the babyface side of, of Cena, or you assumed, or that was the perception of, and he couldn't, he was having a hard time getting partners because, you know, everybody wanted Cena out of the way so they could move up the ladder. There were so many stories you could have written which would have made sense, but in the process, the Nexus were the benefactors because the fact that all the other guys couldn't get together in the company to form a team strong enough to beat them and let those guys just continue to have their way. And it would have worked, and it would have drawn money. But the minute you start beating them and leaving two or three of them laying, you know, when it's just one guy, it just doesn't make sense. You know, you have to make sense where the numbers are involved. All right, guys, as you know by now, today's episode is sponsored by Blue Chew. Remember the days when you were always ready to go? Well, now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. So listen up, bluechew.com, and that's blue like the color. Blue Chew is going to bring you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as both Viagra and Cialis. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they can work up to twice as fast as a pill. So you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. If you could benefit from a little extra confidence where it counts, Blue Chew is the fast and easy way to enhance your performance. In fact, Blue Chew is prescribed online by licensed physicians. So you don't have to go to the doctor's office or wait in line at the pharmacy. And it ships right to your door in a discreet package. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. And best of all, there's no more awkwardness. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment for free when you use our promo code ARN. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-C-H-E-W.com, and our promo code is ARN to try it for free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice. And we thank them for sponsoring today's podcast. Excuse me. We talked about it at the top of the show here. Um, Nexus gets a ton of heat coming out. Meltzer says, given that it looks like this show did far better than last year, based on one match, the idea of allowing heels to get and keep heat may not be the worst idea this year. Miz came out to be the seventh guy, but Cena told him that they wouldn't wait for him to make up his mind until the day of, and they had already secured a partner and it was Daniel Bryan. And Brian opens the match with hard kicks to Darren Young and goes for a, a guillotine and gets a tap in just 45 seconds. Um, lots of talent here on both sides. Let's recap who all's in it. Of course, our team leader is John Cena. Uh, he's got Daniel Bryan as the mystery guy, Chris Jericho, Edge, R-Truth, John Morrison, and Bret Hart, of all people. Nexus is led by Wade Barrett. They've got David Otunga, Heath Slater, Skip Sheffield, Darren Young, Michael Tarver, and Justin Gabriel. It is an elimination match. Talk to me about Michael Tarver. He's a name that we haven't heard a ton about. Um, for whatever reason, maybe this whole WWE venture didn't go exactly as they had originally hoped. Still a young guy. I think he's only like 43 years old. 
What can you tell us about Michael Tarver? Well, I, I didn't know Michael that well. I know he had a good look with the, you know, he had the mask on and, uh, you know, good physique and all that stuff. He did a boxer gimmick. He had a good punch. Uh, don't know Michael that well. I wasn't around him very much. Um, I just know that he was handpicked to be in that group. And there was probably a reason for that. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, less than a year from this, after being in the main event here at SummerSlam, he's gone. I think he leaves in June of 2011. Did some stuff with the NWA and New Japan. And I'm not even sure what he's really doing in wrestling these days. But it feels weird that, you know, you're in the main event a year later. Not so much. Another guy that we don't hear a ton about here, Justin Gabriel, who we know is wrestling as PJ Black now. Uh, he too has a similar story. He winds up um, ultimately having a decent little run with the WWE and finds his way out a handful of years later. Does a stop off with TNA, and I think he's done some stuff with Ring of Honor and the NWA and Lucha Underground. So he's kept active. But mostly outside of WWE in recent years, why don't you think PJ Black or Justin Gabriel here was uh, was a lifer with WWE? Oh, I don't know. You know, once those guys, once they started breaking the crew up, each time that they got smaller and, and guys were going different ways, it, you know, the whole Nexus thing just kind of disintegrated. And, uh, it left a lot of guy on the side, a lot of guys on the sidelines. And I know just recently, just a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, I saw, I was watching Impact and uh, not Impact. I was watching Ring of Honor, excuse me. And PJ Black was on there, and it looked to be a semi-recent match, probably within the last six eight months. He had a match with uh, with another guy on there, and they tore the joint down. So he can still perform, that's for sure. Don't know what he's been doing. I know that he had a real bad accident doing one of those things he does. Like, um, I don't know if it was skydiving or something else, but he got injured real bad a while back and he had to recover from that. Took a, took quite a while, but he's back. Cause I, this seemed to be a semi, you know, like I said, maybe six or eight months ago, I saw him on that show. He had a great match. Yeah. He's, um, he's still with ring of honor, but it's just curious to me that I mean, this is a guy who's with the company. I mean, I think he started in developmental in like 08, maybe. And he's with you guys until like January of 2015. And right around Royal Rumble 2015, he either asked for his release or was granted it, whatever. But I, it's always been fascinating to me that it really feels like there's almost two kinds of wrestlers. Guys who, you know, work their whole career to get to WWE and, and try to get there and stay there. And even when they leave, they're, they're trying to get back. Then you got other guys who are like, I tried it and this is too political, too corporate, too whatever, but it's just not a good fit for me. And it's not often that you see a guy make a decision like that, but clearly he did and, and seems to be doing just fine. Is that fair to say that maybe there's just, cause we even talked about recently on an ask Arn episode about bullet Bob Armstrong and maybe what his national appeal could have been had he chose something different, but he had such a good deal for himself in Pensacola that his quality of life was just through the roof. Why try to do anything different? Do you think there's just some guys who maybe WWE was their dream and then they get there and realize, well, this isn't what I hoped it was. Uh, I'm going to go back and do what I was doing before. Well, you got to understand when you take these young guys and, and you either bring them up from Indies 
and you put them in the system NXT or you or they go you know exclusively to NXT or whatever the case was and then you bring them up to the main roster you know they get their proverbial fit finley 3 weeks if if they're brought up to be used right away if those guys don't blow the roof off the world in 3 weeks a lot of times they just get forgot about that was it you didn't pass the test and especially when guys are put in a position to get a push they're out there on TV they're doing well and for whatever reason somebody sours on them and they just cut their water off out of nowhere and you see it all the time now some people you know can accept that because they're getting paid and, and they get their water cut off and and they are relegated to the sidelines and they're at TV every week, week after week after week, but they're not, they don't get used. And for whatever reason, guys can go on for months and months without ever being on television and you go back and say, what did they do wrong? And nobody can ever put their finger on anything they did wrong other than the mood changed where they were concerned. Suddenly one day somebody walked in and said, they're too short. They're too small. They're too tall. They're too skinny. They're too this or too that. And they get their water cut off. A lot of this young talent, that just crushes them. The ones that really want to contribute and want to be on television and be in angles and be wrestling and be on all the house shows, they don't want to just sit home and get their downside. And a lot of those guys in Nexus, you know, were good performers. The Heath Slaters, the Wade Barretts, you know, a PJ Black, you know, a lot of those guys, and I'm sure I'm leaving some guys out. I know there were seven of them, but a lot of those guys were really quality workers. And there's nothing worse than to have something to offer and not be able to offer it for whatever reason. And no one can tell you why that you're not being used. Um, P.J. Black, I guess, figured out he wasn't going to get used. I remember there was periods of time where they wouldn't use him on TV at all. So that, you know, here's a guy that was young. What was he, third-generation wrestler, maybe? Yeah, he's been wrestling. I mean, it's in his family for sure. I know at least second generation, and I may have made that up about third, but the guy wants to go out and do what he does and perform and perform on television and all those things. and. You get to a point to where you see that you're never going to be used. You just want to go out and wrestle anywhere, and it, it quits. It, it stops being about the money so much. It's about this is what I always wanted to do. This is what I grow up wanting to do. I'm here. Why won't they use me? And it's it's pretty debilitating to a young guy's mentality. I know that. You can get out of debt faster and with cheaper monthly payments at SaveWithConrad.com. But don't take my word for it. Just ask Andrew in Florida. He hooked us up with a five-star review and had this to say, very easy and Derek was great to work with. I went to a 20-year from a 30-year. I saved seven years of interest, plus I have a cheaper payment than my 30-year was. All around a great deal and couldn't be happier. Thanks so much. I want you to do me a favor. Do the math on that. What if we cut six years off of your loan? That's 72 payments. You know to the penny how much you pay on your house every month. Multiply it by 72. That's the amount of money you could save if we cut six years off of your loan. Find out right now for free. And oh, by the way, as you heard, 
cheaper monthly payments. Why wouldn't you do this? Keep more of your own money at SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Oh, and did I mention no house payment for two months? We're licensed in more than 40 states and even credit scores in the 500s can qualify. What are you waiting for? Hurry to SaveWithConrad.com. Let's talk about a couple other guys here. David Otunga is a guy who I think a lot of people assumed, well, he's going to blow it out in a major way. And he's still a part of WWE, but more of a non-wrestling capacity these days. What can you tell us about David Otunga and his in-ring stuff? And I mean, because we can see him in a big role here, main eventing SummerSlam, and now maybe used as more of a panelist and color commentator and things like that. But he's been a part of the company for gosh, 12 years now. Is he still on the announced team occasionally? I think so. Yeah. I think he's the occasional panelist. Well, I think that nobody had had a better look than Otunga. He was part of that Nexus group, but you know, once they singled him out and tried to make him a single or put him in a tag matches, and then they left him off for long periods of time for whatever reason that was before they decided, okay, I think, you know, the attraction was his look fact that he had been to law school. The biggest of them all was who his wife was huge megastar. And I, and I believe, you know, maybe off, but I don't think so. One of the biggest, you know, wish list things or the, one of the things the company was hoping for was, that at some point his wife was going to sing the national anthem at WrestleMania would have been another good reason to keep David around and take care of him and keep paying him. You know, seems like a natural fit. Well, you know, she has a record label that might not want to associate her with wrestling. Who knows? These are just speculations on my part, but I, I feel like, that's probably what the wish list was, and that was never going to happen. But they kept him around, kept him around. But in the process, he wasn't getting in the ring. He wasn't wrestling. He wasn't getting better. During all of these periods of time where you see guys go away, Conrad, at whatever point in their career it is, but they are not on TV, but they're still with the company, those guys are not getting reps. They're not going down to the school on their own and wrestling three or four times a week. They're basically just sitting home. And I don't know that the company would, would say that's the right thing to do, or we don't want you to go down there and get hurt. You know, so if we do need you, da, 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 da. I don't know how that rhetoric goes by, but if you're not wrestling every day, it's the only thing you can do to stay in ring shape is wrestle. You can pound a Stairmaster all day long. won't matter. You can lift weights all all day long. It won't matter. The only way to stay in ring shape is you got to get in there and wrestle, and you got to do it frequently. you got to get those reps, timing and breathing and keeping your body, you know, used to taking that pounding. All That's all things that only reps will give you. So, you know, those guys that disappear – they're just sitting home. And I think Dave was one of them last, but certainly not least Wade Barrett, the leader of NXT. I think a lot of people assumed this guy was going to be one of the next big things. And we know that, you know, he had a couple of different incarnations. They tried him as King Barrett. They tried him as bad news Barrett. And then ultimately 
he decides that uh, I think I've maybe had enough. Uh, his contract is scheduled to uh, end in June of 2016, but WWE agrees to uh, an early release from his contract. So he gets out, I think in like August of 2015 and uh, he's done. I mean, he did a little bit of stuff uh, with the NWA and some stuff overseas, but it looks like he's trying his hand away from wrestling. Do you think, you know, the WWE thing sort of soured him on wrestling for good, or is this something that's just hard to get out of your blood and he'll be back. It's just a matter of if and when in the right circumstance. Well, you know, he was good. He had everything he had. He spoke well, he looked good, good size, all those things. And, uh, he's a good worker. And, uh, there was really no negatives to wait. Um, but I'm sure, you know, you got to remember Conrad, we went through a period of 2001 to 2019 to where there was really only one company that you could go to in the U S and make a really, really good living. Now I know you had the other companies around, you had new Japan, you had impact, you had ring of honor, you know, you had a, a few scattered companies around, but basically there was only one place to work and make a consistent living where you can plan your future three years out and know what you're going to be making and sign a long-term deal, which, you know, goes a long way with people when they're trying to plan their lives. And, and uh, there was only the one company. And if you soured on the business and you left WWE, you just about had to, uh, you know, visit the real world and see what was available because those other companies were, you know, were not running 250 days and, you know, constant television, you know, and pay-per-views and all those things that WWE was able to do. They were only, they were the only game in town, really. So I think once you left WWE, like Wade did, he started researching some acting and some other things, another way to, to have life after, you know, wrestling and, uh, I don't know exactly what all he did, but I saw that he did come back with the NWA and was doing some commentary and some different stuff. But got to remember, there were not a lot of options during that 18-year span. Let's uh, let's talk about the match itself here. One of the big spots in the show is when Bret Hart tags in and he's going to be wrestling Heath Slater. He's going to throw some punches and do a reverse atomic drop and go for the sharpshooter. And Meltzer would know Hart can't do a match because he can't bump or take any shots, but his movement and offense look good. And it was actually incredible considering he's 53 has an artificial knee and has suffered a serious stroke. Barrett threw in a chair and Hart uses the chair on skip skip Sheffield. Easy for me to say who we know is Ryback for the DQ in 12 minutes and 10 seconds. Meltzer would say the crowd was genuinely mad when Hart was eliminated. And he was the only guy in the match. You could really say that about, uh, ultimately we know the story though. Uh, Cena's going to put the STF on Barrett in the middle of the ring. And he's going to tap after 35 minutes and 19 seconds, three and a half stars, a lot of action, a lot of talent. Uh, the fans are really behind Daniel Bryan in a big way here. Uh, this is probably one of those nights that sort of helped make Daniel Bryan who he's going to become. What'd you think of this one? 
Yeah, I thought, you know, what you walked away with was it was the right thing to bring Daniel Bryan back. It was all about him, and it was the beginnings of the guy becoming a megastar. And uh, if you didn't just see it with your own eyes and understand what you were seeing, then it was just too bad because they got behind him that night in a very real way. And uh, when a guy gets over, when it clicks for a guy and the audience accepts him and he makes that, you know, connection with the audience, it's crystal clear to see. And that's what you took away from that night. That was the positive. Meltzer uh, would also uh, do a poll in this era for all the pay-per-views. And it was pretty unanimous that team WWE versus the Nexus, the main event was the best match on the show. It got 179 votes. The only other match to get a vote was Sheamus and Randy Orton. The worst match also nearly unanimous. It's Melina and Alicia Fox. What about you? Do you think the best match was the main event? Well, probably so. You got to remember you had some pretty good performers in there, you know, the Jericho's and the edges. And, you know, there were some other underlying stories within that match too. And they had plenty of time, but I think, you know, and it should, the main event on a pay-per-view should be just that the main event. And it should button up your stories that are drawing the money and selling the tickets. And you have, you know, you build your show least to most. And I think that was a, a main event and told a lot of stories. And, you know, you could have still got out of there, I think, with some heat on serious heat on the Nexus. But that's just my opinion. Chris Jericho uh, also had a report once upon a time that said that it was Vince McMahon's idea for Cena to be the sole survivor of seven on seven match even as Jericho and others felt that Wade Barrett needed to go over in order to keep the Nexus strong. Justin Gabriel has said that Cena himself had the finish change to him winning. Gabriel said that he had no bad feelings towards Cena. It was just a bad call. And Jericho and edge, uh, apparently also disagree with Cena's idea that Barrett needed to DDT him on bare concrete just before the Superman come back where he would pin Gabriel and then make Barrett submit to the STF. I think Jericho felt that. Cena needed to barely survive in a more realistic manner, but he says Cena was insistent that it would be done this way. And Jericho also claims in the aftermath of the show that night that Cena admitted he was wrong about how the finish went down. You were involved in all of this. You were seen as agent. Do you remember there being discussion about the finish and about the, the DDT and how Nexus needed to be positioned? And what was your advice to John that night? Well, I don't remember. I think that when you got down to the last three or four guys, um, you're talking about overcoming that DDT on the floor and all that, that probably would have been a closed door meeting with only one person that could make that happen. Because to anybody that knows anything about the business, why you would basically no sell that and become Superman and, overcome all the other odds and to just win it's part of the reason that Cena gets all the backlash from everybody that he does all those that are anti-Cena it's for situations just like that and if all those minds that you're talking about you know are feeling like the same way that if John's going to win and survive okay but it should be by the skin of his teeth 
everybody can't be wrong. And uh, so I think they were correct in that. I think you hurt John more than you helped him. And again, you know, even if you did have John sneak one out, you know, a quick one, two, three, you could let that sink in for just a second and still have three uh, of the Nexus guys there to go ahead and just squash him. And here's a m another mistake, just while I'm thinking about it, that that was made over the years. There was this ongoing, Conrad, there's this ongoing feeling that at the end of any pay-per-view or any house show for that matter or any event, you want to leave the people happy going home. Right. Why? Why do you always have to do that? Well, you didn't know Nitro. A lot of times there would be trash filled in the ring with the NWO taking over. So if you're quote unquote booking heat, you've got to send them home frustrated and every now and again, right? Yep. The difference is you never, ever booked heat ever at the end of the night for a pay-per-view or a house show. And why not? That would have been a classic example of getting a victory, but having the young guys leave Santa, you know, in a, in a heap, you would have gotten some heat and you would have gotten to that next raw. And I would have still been chomping at the bit for the good guys to, you know, to shut these guys up and you just don't give it to them. You keep it going in the old days in the NWA a lot of times, most times on television, we would go off the air with heat because you wanted people to come out to the live events and see you get your ass kicked, but you had to pay for it. You didn't give it away on TV. You know, you would have in live events, I know this is a little bit off the subject, but you would have a finish, you know, where there would be the baby face would get, get, slatter, get splattered, there would be a DQ, maybe a chair shot or something from the heel, so the babyface technically won. Then he would overcome the, the uh, chair shot and end up kicking everybody's ass anyway just so you sent the crowd home happy. Well, if you can't hit a guy with a chair and make it stick, why do it anyway? You know, and we would do that time after time after time. And if you go back and check the house show business, you know, we weren't full every night, so something needed to be changed. And I feel like this was one of those nights just to hulk up and become Superman and, and cream everybody and go over. I agree with uh, Jericho and Edge. Should have went another route. Well, we're glad that you guys are going another route with us and enjoying, or we hope you're enjoying this walk down memory lane from 2010 and 2015 that we're doing this year. Uh, coming up next, and we're really excited about it. It'll be SummerSlam 2015. That's happening in two weeks. Next week is all about hashtag ask Arn anything. And you really can ask Arn anything. It's simple. Just follow us at the Arn show. It'll be pinned to the top right there. Drop your question below and ta-da, listen up. And on August 18th, we could be asking your question again. We'll be back on the 25th with SummerSlam 2015. And don't forget, you can get all of these shows early and ad free, including watching a couple of war games from back in the day. That's right. The original and the, the sequel to war games from 1987 are both going to be posted live over there at adfreeshows.com. Uh, check us out online as well. We've got great new shirts and Arn, I don't even know that you've seen all of these, but we've got some really cool new shirts over at orange Uh, take a look. We've got a new one 
that I, I saw in person for the first time, Dave Silva came to visit and he had the founding horseman shirt, which is an old school photo style shirt of you. Uh, but maybe my favorite and one that you even said, Hey, do we make this in, in different cuts is you with the American flag on your face? Those are cool shirts over at orange Are they not? Yeah. Those guys do a great job. They really do very creative. And we appreciate your support. That's the easiest way to support the show. Of course, follow us on Twitter. It's free. It's at the orange show. He is at the orange show. I am a, Hey, Hey, it's Conrad and we are out of time. We'll see you next week and every week right here on Westwood one. It's Tuesday. That's got to mean one thing. It's Arn. Get your Arn gear at ArnShirts.com and check out BoxaGimmicks.com, the official store of the Arn Show, where you can find gimmicks for the Arn fan in your life. New items added weekly. There's no better time to say I love you, and the most hated jeweler in America is at it again. You've heard us say I hate StevenSinger.com, and you've heard us rave about his famous roses. But Steven Singer has been selling diamonds and bridal jewelry for four decades. Whether you have someone or something to celebrate, Steven is there for you. Ready to take the next step? Steven has a ready for love engagement ring collection that is no hassle, no risk, expertly picked engagement rings that are ready to go. Don't worry, Steven won't let you mess this up. He's been selling online for over two decades, but recently he's kicked everything up a notch to better serve his friends and guests online. Steven has real expert jewelers on staff and on call to help you find the perfect ring or gift through a new virtual video appointment, a call, a text, a chat, an email, and all of this with extended hours. On top of that, he offers the best guarantee in the business with a full 100 day, 100% money back guarantee and free shipping. Interest free financing is available online too. And that's just the beginning gifts that say, I love you every single day, backed with decades of experience in the comfort of your own home. It's easy. Just go to IHateStevenSinger.com. Fast, free, and safe shipping. Of course, it's Steven Singer Jewelers. That's IHateStevenSinger.com. I've been telling you for a long time that SaveWithConrad.com can save you money, but don't take my word for it. Hello. Good morning, Josh. This is Dave Silva with Save With Conrad. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well. So what made you come to Save With Conrad in the first place? Uh, having listened to the podcast for a while, refinancing our home had been something that, you know, we had kind of thought about before in the past, but just never kind of pulled the trigger on. And then finally I said, you know what? I, uh, I listened to the man's podcast enough. Uh, what, what hurt could it do to uh, see exactly what Conrad and his team could do for us? And it's one thing I'm glad we did. Oh man, us too. Um, now, I see here that you worked with Derek on your refinance. How was it working with Derek and the team? Uh, Derek and the team were absolutely great. Uh, they answered my questions quickly. You know, they were very forthright with everything, very quick to respond, and uh, just made the entire process painless. Wonderful, wonderful. How much money was Save With Conrad able to save you? We had 22 years left on a 30-year mortgage. Uh, we also had uh, two car loans that we were paying on. So uh, through this process, we knocked uh, we knocked down from the 22 years we had left to a 15-year refi, and uh, we uh, got enough money on top of that to pay off one of the car loans. So not only did we save seven years of paying mortgage payments, but our monthly payments between what we were paying on the mortgage plus the car loan that we paid off, the money stayed the same. So our, our money out at the end of the month stayed the same, but uh, like I said, we saved seven years of mortgage payments. 
Man, congratulations, dude. That's awesome. So what are you waiting for? Find out how much money you can save right now for free. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. Even credit scores in the 500s can be approved. And if we can't save you money, we won't waste your time. But because we're licensed in more than 40 states, we can help more families than ever before. Find out how much money you can save right now for free at SaveWithConrad.com. Oh, and did I mention you could skip your next two house payments? Hurry to SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lenders. Woo! Check it out. Here's a clip from AdFreeShows.com that you can't hear anywhere else. I've always been curious. You just did a, uh, you know, an Irish whip into the, into the corner and he reversed it. Is there some sort of trick or wrestler speak to when to reverse and when not to like, how does a guy know when to reverse? Is there like a little hand squeeze or some sort of little signal? Well, it's a dance. And if I'm going to have you reverse me, when I whip you, I'm going to put on the brakes so that you have to stop. Hmm. And when you stop, then you just give me a tug and off I go. It's just like dancing. It, it literally is the part of the one of the parts of the business we talk about sometimes your dance partner. That's a move that for it to be smooth, you got to work together and it's got to be a, a dance. And that's what it is. It's uh, it's got to be a tall order to be out here calling a match on the fly on pay-per-view with a guy who may not be, uh, skilled enough to be in this position and, and you, you're forced. Oh man, there's a spine buster. Look at the crowd react in Ohio. They're ready for it. Let's track it. Crawl back to Hogan and tell him now, Renegade. Two, Renegade's out. Kicked out of the spine buster. Oh, I like the follow-up pin. That's a nice touch. How about three in a row? This is a good sequence here. I like this. It's an athletic competition. The game, the name of the game is you're trying to win and, and you're actually trying to win here. Putting him in the corner here. There's one of those regular ones. So you didn't put the brakes on a little lack of communication. Well, well, it might've been a lack of communication on his part. Sure. I was very clear on what I was thinking. This blows how long we've been in here and how soon can we get out? So what are you waiting for? Head on over to adfreeshows.com right now. It's hard to beat adfreeshows.com. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.